Our reading today is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting at verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine and other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, And the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother, because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel every debt your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land of the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God, and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and He will lend, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debts, is near. So that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will not, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. Chapter 16, verse 16. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. 
No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. This is the word of the Lord. If you're joining us today, we're in the Ten Commandments as uh, presented by Deuteronomy. Some interesting stuff. Let's pray that the Lord will give us understanding. What does this actually mean? Let's pray together. Father, we continue as ever to give thanks that you're a speaking God. You don't leave us in the dark. You speak to change the hearts of your people. So we pray you be at work amongst us doing just that. You give us understanding in what this meant for them back then, what it means for us today, and hearts that delight to live your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We didn't read all of chapter 15, but Deuteronomy 15 really is a radical challenge to what to the sharing of our wealth. And so as I've been dwelling on it this week, I thought about this. How about, how about this then? Uh, we just keep it simple, just for this room. How about we uh, add up the monthly net salaries of everyone here, Divide them by the number of people here and just go for some pretty simple redistribution. How about that? And some look happy and some look less than happy. We are not obliged to do that. That is not what Deuteronomy 15 is saying. But of course, for some of us, instinctively, that mm, that's a little uncomfortable. Because undoubtedly this chapter, chapter 15, does want us to say, my possessions, my wealth, it's just stuff. And I'm very happy to share my stuff with others. Because it's not really mine. The Lord has given it to me, to steward, to take care of for him. But I want my brothers and sisters to share in God's goodness. To us as a group. It's pretty countercultural. We're then working our way through the Ten Commandments. Uh, so Deuteronomy 5 actually has the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, uh, and then it seems to be the chapters 12 to 26 are an expansion upon those Ten Commandments. And so this long section, we didn't have it read, all of it, but chapter 14, verse 22, to chapter 16, verse 17, is an expansion upon the Fifth Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It has the same, if you, we won't do it now, but if you go back and read Deuteronomy 5, the same concerns are there. There's a division of time. And there's some markers within time when you have to do certain things. There's a great concern for the poorest in society that they're not left out. An emphasis, you do these things, remembering the Lord's salvation, what he has done. These Ten Commandments then, they're always a response to God's grace. God gave them to a group of people he had saved. And says, now you are saved by me, here's how you respond. And so here then, it seems, is the expansion on the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Uh, just on your sheets, I've printed how I think it works. There's a sort of little sandwich to it, I think. So 14, 22 to 29, rejoice and share the Lord's tithe together. The uh, the other side of that, the other sort of piece of bread around the sandwich, chapter 16, verses 1 to 17, rejoice and share the Lord's goodness together. So both those sections, feasting, rejoicing, but you do it together, not on your own. Uh, and in the central section, 
all about releasing loans, be they money or be they people. That's slightly how it works. Now, I want to spend most of our time in chapter 15, but let me just briefly look at the uh, the first, uh, at the end of chapter 14, just so we, once to try and persuade you uh, of what I'm saying here. At this chapter 14, I don't know when uh, Alistair read it, if you thought, well, this is quite good. It's not always what I'd expect the Bible to be saying. God says, go to, for the people back then, go to Jerusalem, the place that God chose, and have a fabulous feast. Splash out, eat fabulously well to celebrate the Lord your God. So verse 22, uh, set aside a tenth of your, that your fields produce every year. Obviously, back then, an agrarian economy. Set aside a tenth. Uh, it might be too heavy to carry, so swap that for cash. Come to Jerusalem. And then verse 26. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, fermented drink, or anything you should wish. Isn't that great? Get together and have a massive blowout meal to celebrate that the Lord is good to you. If you want curry, you have curry. If you want Italian, you have Italian. And other such things as were around uh, all those uh, centuries ago. But rejoice, verse 26, is the point of it. Rejoice. You and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Rejoice. He's going to go on to say in chapter 15, I'll give away. But rejoicing is a great antidote to meanness. To niggardliness, which is the word I've been playing with in my head this week, just because I think it's a really nice word. Niggardliness, meanness, penny-pinching, I don't want to give anything. It's a great antidote to that. So rejoice, but you do it together in the Lord's presence. So don't say, oh, I like this sermon. I went to church this morning and the preacher said, go to Michelin star restaurants and have the best meal you can possibly have and the Lord will bless you for it. What a great talk. It's not saying that. Not unless you take the whole of the church family with you and you have the whole meal demonstrably honouring the Lord in his presence. And I'm free for lunch. <laughs> if that's what you want to do. Do you see, it's together. Together. And that's why you get this uh, little emphasis just at the end of the section. Verse 27 to 29 of uh, chapter 14. Don't leave anyone out. So the Levites, they didn't have any land. One of the 12 tribes, they were to look after the temple and everything related to it. They didn't have any land. So take 10% of all the crops you've grown this year. I don't grow crops. Don't forget them. Look after them. Provide for them. So this is not really welfare in chapter 14. It's not a welfare provision. But just ensuring that everyone enjoys the Lord's blessing together. So for us, I suppose it looks like such things as, well, a weekend away, perhaps that's a time of setting aside extra time to remember that the Lord is good and to celebrate that together. And so when, as is the case, wealthier members of the congregation subsidize those who are of fewer resources, in order to get away together and celebrate. That's a good example of this, I'd have thought. 
Chapter 16, verse 1 to 17, the outer frame, similar concerns all come together at certain times a year and celebrate the Lord's goodness and make sure no one's left out. But let's spend our time in chapter 15. and uh, going to chop it this way, just two points really. Big idea, there shall be no poor among you. And then uh, we'll very obviously try and work out what that means for us today. There are no poor in Christ. Okay, so only two points, just to keep you on your toes. Uh, there shall be no poor among you, in Deuteronomy 15. And there are no poor in Christ. Chapter 15 then, we're just going to look really at verses 1 to 11 this morning. There are, There shall be no poor among you. Now the whole chapter is dominated by the idea of release. Uh, for some quirky reason, uh, the, the NIV, which we're using here this morning, goes for cancel. Cancel is too strong and also slightly hides what's going on here. So uh, chapter 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must release a debt. This is how the releasing is to be done. Every creditor shall release the loan he's made to his fellow Israelites. It matters because it's the same word as in chapter 15, verse 13. You should release slaves. The whole idea really is letting go, not being tight-fisted, but releasing, letting go. So this is, unlike chapter 14, let's just have a nice meal together, this is deliberate uh, attempt to those who have fallen on hard times to wipe out a little bit of their debt so they can get themselves back on their own two feet. It is a welfare provision, not just a handout, but try to encourage people onto their own two feet. It works a bit like this in our little section. There's a command one to three, there's an ideal picture four to six, and then there's a sort of pleading to get real uh, from Moses in seven to eleven. You try and work our way through it. So chapter 15, verse 1. Literally, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. What's he talking about? Well, when you put it into the rest of Deuteronomy, it seems he's talking about here deferring a loan for a year. Every seven years, you just let people off. So it's a little bit like if you had a mortgage, if you had a mortgage, every seven years, whatever, you know, uh, a deliberate same for everyone, 2007, 2014, 21, every seven years, the bank says, no payments this year, and no interest will accrue. You just build up some capital. And uh, maybe at the end of the year, you can pay a slab off your mortgage to reduce the payments going forward. That would be a nice thing. Do we think the bank should do that? That would be a nice thing, wouldn't it, uh, if such a thing happened? It's that, just for a year release people from what they owe you so that they can use their lands to make a bit of money rather than just paying off a loan. That's what's being asked for here in the command. Now verses 4 to 6, you get the ideal picture. There should be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you. There should be no poor among you, verse 4. Now that's an ideal picture, but when you get down to verse 11, the Lord can also say, there will always be poor people in the land. Oh, there should be no poor people amongst you, 
there will always be poor people. So there's realism here. There's an ideal picture. If everyone obeyed this perfectly, however, it's going to look a little bit more like this. Just interesting. So the ideal picture is uh, uh, no poverty and of Israel running a wonderful sort of national surplus and all its trading with the nations around. Then 7 to 11, you get a pleading. Can we get real? Can we get real? So here's Moses. He's given them a command, but trying to persuade them. So verse 7, if there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, notice. All you've got is a gift. The Lord has given you this land. You don't deserve it. I guess for you and for me, the Lord could say, I have given you your jobs, your talents, your abilities, your opportunities, your breaks in life. Just, just, can we just remember that before we move on to the actual instruction? All that you have is a gift from me, verse 7. But the, the negative, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend whatever he needs. Don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted to your brother. Eleven times in chapter 15, brother, a reminder to God's people, you're not all individuals. The nation of Israel is an outgrown family. You belong to one another. But don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Hard-hearted, not my problem. And tight-fisted, we know, we know what that means. It's a word we use commonly. You know, there's certain sort of racial stereotypes of tight-fisted nations. We won't go there. Uh, it's such a vivid picture, isn't it, of being tight-fisted. You just cling. I was away last week uh, on essentially a holiday camp. There were lots of chi- lots of kids there, and in the morning there was a shop that sold sweets. Guess what? They gathered. Um, and uh, one day, a sort of five-year-old boy uh, had a little paper bag uh, with some little penny chews. Apart from they're all about five p now, but anyway, little penny chews, cola bottles, and the like. And uh, his mum said, "Oh, why don't you give one to your sister?" Daniel, why don't you give one to your sister? No. Why not? Don't want to. They're mine. Daniel, just to be very clear, who gave you the money to buy the sweets? Mummy. Will you give a sweet to your sister? No. (laughs) Clenched fist. Daniel, if you don't give a sweet to your sister, there will be no money tomorrow for you to buy sweets. She can have one. <laughs> and uh, out it came. Now that's sort of fairly normal behaviour for a five-year-old. Uh, and it's, you could laugh and smile, etc. For an adult, that would be silly to do that with uh, a bag of sweets. Uh, but we don't do it with a bag of sweets, but we can do it with other things. Mine. Would you want to share that with someone else? No. Why not mine? But the Lord says, but I gave it to you. And here in chapter 15 of Deuteronomy, I'm promising that if you release your hands, I will give you more. Will you release your hands? Maybe. Maybe tight-fisted. It's a very unpleasant word, isn't it, really? Be open-handed, says the Lord. So verse 9, uh, such realism here. 
Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. Hmm, the seventh year for cancelling or releasing debts is near, so you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. Imagine that's the case 2007 and 14 and 21. Those are the years where there's no interest payments. And so it's 2013, someone says, can you know, can I take out a, a, a loan from you? Hmm, next year I get nothing. Yet, no. Uh, 2015, I can, you, you can see the logic why people would think those ways. But it's very strong what the Lord says. That's wicked. Verse 9, it's wicked to think in those terms. Don't show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you. You'll be found guilty of sin. You think well, that's a bit strong, isn't it? Someone asks me for a load of money. I say, no, that's wicked and sinful. It's my money, isn't it? That's just not how Deuteronomy thinks. Or imagine it this way. Uh, imagine a cruise somewhere uh, in some tropical place and uh, the, the boat goes down and 30 people manage to, manage to escape to an island with a, a number of provisions. And uh, they can eat and drink, etc. until they're rescued. Now, three different scenarios. One person amongst the 30 says, I'm not going to eat and drink. And so dies of thirst. Well, they're an idiot. That's just stupid. Uh, everyone eats and drinks, second scenario, but there's just not enough to go round. Well, that's tragic. The third scenario, if someone hoards all the food and drink themselves so that others go without, that's probably wicked, isn't it? They're depriving. They've got more than they actually need. And so others would die. That would be wicked. And I guess that's the sort of principle that's being spoken of here. If someone in a church family, is impoverished, not because they refuse to work, not because there's not enough to go around, but because someone is hoarding their wealth, well, that's not right. And so the principle here is to be uh, to show voluntary self-restraint in accumulation of wealth. I, I don't need to keep adding to my wealth, or I don't need to hold on to my wealth, if I can give it to help others get back on their feet economically, I should do that. That's the, the driving idea of chapter 15. Now the motive is fairly transparent, it seems to me. Running through the passage is the encouragement that you can trust the Lord. The Lord says, share your surplus and I'll bless you. So verse 4. Uh, the Lord your God is giving you the, to possess this land as your inheritance. He will richly bless you. Verse 6, for the Lord your God will bless you as he's promised. Verse 10, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. You can trust him. And so the way to be generous and share what God has given you is to know that, well, he'll provide. Okay, uh, uh, two, uh, um, two men, different scenarios. Man one. Man one. Uh, has got a, a contract with his employer which stipulates that uh, if he's to be made redundant, the firm has to give him 10 years' notice. The HR department has been sacked. It's a pretty unusual contract. But he's given 10 years' notice minimum uh, before he's made redundant. Person B, uh, fairly normal thing, three months' notice before he's made redundant, and he's been told that the redundancy is coming and he's in the pool and he's one of four it's going to be. Who is likely to be more generous? Well, it's the first. 
because he knows that more money is coming. He knows that at least the next 10 years, he's fine. The latter, he's a bit nervous. Time to sort of rein in spending. Time to just sort of hold on to cash a little bit more. But the point here is the Lord will provide. The Lord is your insurance. You can trust him. And if you trust him, it enables you to release your money to others. The believer knows he can trust the Lord and so forth. It's just easier to be generous. Obvious things to say, but, 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 but. Uh, should we share income or should we be generous to those who sort of fecklessly fritter their money away? Well, maybe not, but they may need much more time and assistance, which is often even more costly. But, 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 but I, I haven't very got much to spare, really. I, yes. But love is costly. Often does mean going without something to love someone else. Now before we just move on and look more um, how the New Testament would take this, can I just say, I think this happens wonderfully in many ways at Christ Church Mayfair. Wonderfully. That people are not tight-fisted but open-handed. So a number of individuals uh, are very happy to give interest-free loans to uh, people who've got themselves in debt with banks and say, okay, well, I'll wipe off your debt with the bank and you pay me back without a 15% rate of interest that's being charged on your, whatever, uh, career development loan. Now, I think that is very true to the principle of Deuteronomy 15. Going to release your debt so you can get back on your feet economically. And a number of people do that. Interest-free loans, I think that's great. There's been a significant amount of work done this year, and I'm very grateful for it, in setting up a deacon's fund. So again, people can get loans, gifts, practical financial advice on budgeting when they're in hardship. It's great. People have generously given to that fund so that others can draw down on it. A desire not to be tight-fisted, but to be open-handed and share what God has given within the church family. It's good. It's very good. So Deuteronomy 15, there shall be no poor among you. Now what do we do with that broad brush instruction? Let me try and uh, uh, tell you to the New Testament. Secondly then, there are no poor in Christ. This is a rule of thumb. Okay, so it's not infallible, there's more detail and more nuance, but as a rule of thumb, most of these laws in Deuteronomy, the safe way to take them as Christians is to do three little things. One, how are they fulfilled in Christ? Second, how do we see them fulfilled in the church, therefore? And third, how are they fulfilled in the new creation in glory? That's just a sort of safe rule of thumb. It won't always be perfect, but it's not a bad pattern to follow. Let's have a go at that here. There are no poor in Christ. So first then, what does that look like in Jesus Christ? I wonder if you could just flick on with me to page 1031. 1031 of Luke's Gospel. Page 1031 in these church Bibles. I want to look at this because it's a little passage that sometimes is, I think, misused. Uh, Luke chapter 4, page 1031, verse 16. 
Jesus. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, I have to say, most of the commentaries I've read this week on Deuteronomy 15 point to Luke 4 and say, well, Jesus did just this. His ministry was one with concerns, with relief of poverty. You've just got to be careful with that when you come to Luke chapter 4. He chooses this passage from Isaiah. If you read the book of Isaiah, who are the poor in Isaiah? And the blind. Most of the time in the book of Isaiah, the blind are those that God has blinded amongst his people as judgment. And the poor are those who are being afflicted by unjust leaders. So Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to do what Isaiah said would happen. Amongst my people, there are those who are cut off from God and being exploited. And I'm going to restore them to God. So what is the good news that Jesus preaches? Well, if you read the next two chapters, it's the forgiveness of sins. Because that's fundamentally what people need more than anything else. You just turn over one page. You see uh, verse 42, all sorts of uh, people are sick and come to him. His emphasis, verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom. I've got to preach. I've got to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. Because the most important poverty there is, is being cut off from God. So you take this, there are no poor among you. And Luke would say, the poor in Christ are those who are alienated from God. They can have their sins forgiven and enter into Jesus' kingdom. He goes around performing miracles, of course he does. But they're just a foretaste of his kingdom to come. It's as if Jesus moves around in a world which is all black and white and wherever he goes, he brings colour with him because he's the king of the kingdom. It's just a hint, just a foretaste of what's to come. So the no poor in Christ, what does that mean when you come to Jesus? It means that you can be saved from your sin, from being cut off from God primarily. Okay, that's one little aspect. A second little aspect, Acts chapter 4, verse 34. We may have that one on the screen, so turn into the more. Acts 4, we had a little reference to it earlier in the kids' slot. We're told that amongst the early church, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Do you see there that in Acts... It uses the language of Deuteronomy 15. Isn't that interesting? No needy, poor persons among them. Just a change of tense. So Deuteronomy, looking forward, there shall be, there will be no poor among you. Here in uh, Acts chapter 4, there are no poor or needy among them. So here you have a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 15. Not in society as a whole, but within the church. 
because the church is the place where you see a partial fulfillment of this now. And so within the church community, there, there should be no poor among us. This is not a communist manifesto, not by any stretch, but a general attitude of not being tight-fisted but open-handed, a willingness to share amongst the church family. And it, it, this happens in many wonderful ways. You know, a number here will get insured on different people's cars. On Sunday morning, you have the great clothing shuffle around amongst young children as, you know, you know, someone's shorts get passed on to the fourth little boy, etc., etc. You know, of course, that's just wise and sensible, but it's a, a willingness, not mine. We'll share. Often those earning, yeah, some will rent out property they own at a reduced rate to those in the church family who are perhaps struggling a little bit. These things do happen. But there should be no needy amongst us in dire financial straits. So it's fulfilled in Christ. You have forgiveness of sins. That's the greatest poverty to overcome. It's fulfilled materially within the church. You see a hint of that now, which should be demonstrated now, perfectly well, perfectly is in the world to come. So this is a, this is a perfect reference to poverty, but uh, Revelation 21, of course, familiar verses to many. The living God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or poverty, you could say. For the old order of things has passed away. Only in the kingdom to come, only in heaven, will poverty be history. You'll always have the poor among you in this world, Jesus would say. But one day that will end. So no poor among you. Spiritually, that's true in Jesus Christ. You have riches in him, restored to relationship with God, forgiveness of sins. You see it demonstrated in a church family. It'll be perfectly seen in the new creation. But Deuteronomy 15 would say to us, be open-handed with your brothers and sisters. Sit lightly to stuff. It's easy when you're young and you don't own anything of value. I can think back to when I was a student. I often used to break things and say, well, it's just, it's, it's all right, it's got broken, it's stuff. Who cares? It's not a person. You get older, you have slightly nicer things. And when you, you know, it's all right if you smash an Ikea glass, you smash a cut glass from your wedding, it just hurts a bit more, doesn't it? And, you know, you have a bashed out old clapper of a car when you're young. Who cares if you get to scratch? You have a nice car when you're older, it's a bit harder. If someone scratches your nice car, um, you know, it gets a little bit harder because sometimes we just get nicer stuff. It's just stuff. Don't be tight-fisted with your stuff. Would you try to be 15? Would say, be open-handed. Let stuff trickle through your fingers to your brothers and your sisters, knowing that the Lord will provide. He'll bless you. The Lord said then, and I guess he would say just the same now, the lives of my people are based on my kindness. That's why they have everything. They're based upon my kindness. So don't be hard-hearted. Because our God is not a hard-hearted God. He was generous to the point of sending his son to us. Don't be tight-fisted. Be open-handed. Our Savior is an open-handed Savior who opened his hands to have nails driven into them 
not just looking after himself, but dying for people like you and me. Oh, others are undeserving. My money, I've earned it. Why should I give it to someone who hasn't? We're undeserving. All of us are. But the living God was very generous to us in Jesus Christ. So be like him. Be generous. Be open-handed with your brothers and your sisters. Be kind. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to something like this, so there's often with your law, there are many details which are intriguing, and we think, well, how does that work, and what does that look like, and, and, and how does that quite apply? And Father, we pray that we would indeed grapple with these as we go away, but let us not miss the fundamental issue, that you would call upon us to be open-handed and not tight-fisted towards our family, our brothers, and our sisters. Father, even as there are complications in how we work that out, would you instill that attitude in us? You are a kind God. You have given us many things. You will bless us going forward. We can trust you and we can be generous to others. Would you work that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm highly conscious... uh, there's so many tangents this runs off. What does it mean for this? What does it mean for that campaign? How should I think about this sort of charity? Come and grab me afterwards. I could have been ten times the length, uh, but no one would have enjoyed that on a hot morning. So come and grab me afterwards.